Welcome to episode 8 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It is so good to have you here with me today. In this episode, we sit down and chat with physiotherapist Josh Ong. We cover a whole bunch of stuff, so let's not delay this any further. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Hey endurance junkies, welcome to episode 8 of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It is so good to have you here. Now, you might notice that I've got a bit of a cold at the moment. I'm a bit blocked up, so please excuse my horsey, blocked up voice. I hope it's not too bad for you. Anyway, it's not going to be about me today. We're going to sit down and talk with physiotherapist Josh Ong from Focused Physio. He's an extremely good physiotherapist, highly rate him, and I emailed out to all of our listeners and asked for questions. So what I've got is a number of questions that I sit down and ask him, and he gives some really good, honest answers. But before we do that, I want to know a little bit more about you. What do you do while you're listening to the Exponential Performance Podcasts? Are you exercising? Are you on your bike cranking out some intervals? Are you running on a treadmill? Are you running outside in the park? Are you skiving off at work while you're listening to this? Or are you on a long-haul car ride? Let me know. I want to know what you do while you listen to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Post a comment below. It doesn't matter what platform you are on. If you're on YouTube, whack a comment in the comment section. If you're on iTunes, head down, post it there. If you're on SoundCloud, chuck a comment in. I want to know what you're up to while listening to the Exponential Performance Podcasts. Also, it would be greatly appreciated if you can go over to iTunes and post a review for the Exponential Performance Podcast. This just helps with the ranking and it's just going to help with the publicity of this podcast so it can be more sustainable into the future so if you want to help the podcast out please head over to itunes it has to be itunes give me a rating and leave me a comment in the review section it would be greatly appreciated now without further ado let's get into the interview with josh ong physiotherapist extraordinaire Um, we're lucky enough today to have uh, physiotherapist Josh Ong on the line from Focus Physio. So welcome, Josh. It's awesome to have you here, mate. Thanks very much for having me. So uh, give us a little bit of a background, a uh, bit of a rundown on where you've come from in terms of your you know, physiotherapy and training, a bit of a background before we launch into the listener questions today. Cool. So I um, started my physio training, uh, health science in University of Otago in 2005, Went on to do my physiotherapy degree and finished in 2008. Uh, following which, uh, got a job in a in a private practice in Dunedin. Um, worked there for nine months. Um, yeah, after that, at the end of the year, with the with the new elections and um, changes in the government, I got made redundant due to the ACC changes. After that, um, I thought I'll go back to study. 
so I applied to to um, go back and study to do um, some postgrad stuff in in the uni. But I was quite fortunate to get a job again soon after I got made redundant. So because I had been accepted to study and also had a job, I thought I'll just knuckle down and um, yeah, work and study full time. So I did that, finished my um, my masters in 2012. So that was uh, three years of um, working and studying full time. Awesome, mate. What did you uh, look at for your masters? Uh, right. So my masters, I my masters was endorsed in manipulative um, physiotherapy. So sort of, um, I guess, specific um, looking at diagnosis and treatment of of um, the body, spine, and and joints, and just rehab principles as well. Yeah, nice, nice. So what we've got today is we've got some uh, questions from our listeners that I just wanted to ask you, so hopefully that you're able to answer them and give them a little bit more information about them. Sure, we'll definitely do what we can. Yeah, awesome, mate. So the first question we've got from a listener is, is cracking your neck uh, or your back, and I guess any joints in uh, in general, such as your fingers, you know, when you pop your knees and you pop your fingers out, is that bad for you if you're cracking your joints? Cool. So I guess I guess uh, first of all, let's 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 talk about what what the cracking is, right? So the cracking is just gas. The the pop that you hear is gas. It's pretty much just carbon dioxide. It's a release of of pressure. So that's when you when you wind the joint up or you or you um, put increased pressure, um, the the pop is just the release of, of pressure. Think about um, a straw. You're holding two ends of a straw and just winding the straw up. The the pressure builds up to the middle and you can just pop the straw right in the middle. So that's pretty much what the, what the what the mechanism of um of the of the cracking or or um, manipulation is. So cracking. I don't believe cracking in itself is bad because sometimes, yes, we do need to, to release pressure off certain joints and trying to get um, any restrictions in, say, for example, the spine moving a little bit better. However, too much cracking isn't that good, I think. So when you, when you crack your joints, you are stretching the ligaments around it to a certain extent as well. And so when you crack the joints, you stretch the ligaments around it. Too much cracking, you end up keeping on um, stretching the, the ligaments around it as well. And so the body just goes in a vicious cycle. You crack your joints, you loosen the ligaments. It feels nice for a while, but then the body goes, oh, hang on, I'm a little bit looser now. And if the muscles are not, are not if the muscles around it are not um, ready enough to, to stabilize the, the joint around it, then the body just goes, right, I don't like this. I'm going to tighten up even more. And then you feel stiff again. And then you go, right, I'm actually really stiff. Right, I need to crack myself again. So you have to use an even bigger range or even bigger force to crack the joint. And then, right, cool, feels nice for a while. But then the body goes, right, I'm actually a little bit looser now. Don't like this very much. I'm going to tighten up even more to protect myself. So you have you, this whole vicious cycle of stretch, tighten, stretch, Tighten, stretch, tighten. So unless you you um, reload the muscle or strengthen the muscle or protect the joints around the muscle, oh sorry, um, um, protect the joints after you you crack your joints, it's always going to have this vicious vicious cycle of of um, stretching and tightening, stretching and tightening. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, 100%, eh? And you know how, like, say, there's, like, that old wives' tale out there about if you crack your your knuckles, you know, crack your fingers, that'll lead to arthritis. Is that is that part of it as well? Is that sort of being, or is that just a bit of a myth? Yeah, that's the, that, I, would, I would say definitely that's an old wives' tale. I mean, cracking your joints won't give you arthritis unless, like I was saying before, you know, you stretch, you stretch your ligaments until they're so loose, then you've got no, you do, you don't have any stability there potentially. Yeah. Um, well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to saying as arthritis as well, but um, yeah, you know, it it could lead eventually because you've nothing, because you've you've got nothing to to hold you together. Yeah, for sure. So if you're if you're requiring, say, like every morning you wake up and your neck is so tight that you do, you know, end up giving it a wee stretch and a wee crack here and there, and it feels really good afterwards, what would you recommend that person does? Do they need to do some strengthening around that area, or do they need to do some stretching on other areas? All right. So, um, yeah, I was asked. I was just asked this question last week, actually, for some reason. So there's there's always a threshold. Where you where you stretch the joint to a certain a certain um, uh, a certain point before you get the pop before you before you get so much pressure till you get that cavitation or that or that pop. So what um, what could be quite helpful is that you stretch the joint or stretch. Say let's let's take your neck for example. You stretch your neck to a point just before you feel that it's going to pop. So you're still giving a nice stretch through there, but you're not going past that threshold to get that cavitation. So we're just letting, we're just giving the, the joint a chance to just lightly stiffen up a little bit, just to give it a bit more um, um, security or just to, keep, just to get it, uh, keep it a little bit more secure and slightly stiffer so that the muscles around it can work as well. And then after that, yes, definitely um, strengthening around the joint around the, the muscles surrounding the joint that could be quite helpful as well. Sometimes, yes, you might accidentally go a little bit too far past the threshold and you feel the pop. That's absolutely fine as well. But as much as you can, try and stay just to that limit so you don't go past it. Awesome. Yeah, that that's uh, that would be super helpful, I think, for a lot of people. I also know a lot of people who they've got sort of a tight, tight back and then they get their friends to, you know, give them a big squeeze and a bit of a pop on the back to make it feel better. What are your thoughts around that? So the can that be one, can that be dangerous? Um, I don't think it's dangerous per se. I mean, you see plenty of people doing it around, you know, in the gym, in the sports you and so on. I guess if you if you don't know what you're doing, then definitely it can be dangerous. Um, the classic example of people doing it for each other would be in the library, for ex- uh, say, you've got um, you know you've got students or, or um, yeah you've got people just um, sitting in the library studying for long periods. Your body's um, stuck in that slouch sitting posture for a good few hours. Then uh, when you stand up, oh everything's just so stiff. Right, get your friend, give you a crack, straighten up. There's a nice reflex relaxation of the muscles around it and things do feel a little bit more comfortable. But then you go back and sit there again after lunch and you sit for another four hours studying again. And then once again, like we said before, it's that whole cycle again of tightening up, crack, ah, feels good for a bit, right? Sit back down and then you're tightening up again. Yeah, so if uh, if you were having that sort of vicious cycle starting to happen, you definitely want to sort of seek 
some professional help would you say or you definitely need to look at your balance and balance and even just even just um uh, real basic posture as well just sitting up straight and not um not letting your your um your spine hunch over too much and not getting too slouched over your seat yep yep mm-hmm. awesome mate hey thanks a million for that one the next question we've got and it sort of leads in nicely from the last one is about stretching uh, when should you use dynamic versus static stretching? Right, so static or, or, or passive stretching is sort of a, a type of, of stretch, I guess, to help maintain or, or improve flexibility. Um, so what I re- recommend for sort of static type stretches, definitely as part of a cool down, because, for example, um, say you've done a a big squat session and so lactic acid build up you get a muscle pump in your quads for example just a nice stretch just to try and relieve some pressure in the muscle can can help so definitely a part of a cool down um or um yeah just even um flexibility as well so say at the end of the, at the end of um at the end of the day before you go to bed that could be quite helpful so you're, you're lengthening the muscle and then you go to bed Without so when you're lying down on your bed, there's no gravity on on you, and so we can potentially use that to try and maintain a little bit more of the of the of the mobility changes that we have got after um, doing a say a, a bout of static stretching um, before you go to bed. Dynamic stretching that can be um, as a warm up, say prior to sport sports um, participation it can or may help to decrease the the risk of injury by by improving dynamic flexibility of um of um the muscle groups so you see um football and and rugby for example you know they're um, doing those leg swings um just to get the body used to that stretch reflex getting getting the body getting the muscles ready to 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 move ready to to be primed um to perform whatever movements they need to do so those would be my two um two um views on um on dynamic and static stretching yeah you definitely awesome. want to do static stretching before before a workout because you are you are you are changing um the the nature of of the muscles neuro neurophysiologically and so you don't want you um if you say squat session if you stretch the muscles too much um the body's not used to that to the new flexibility it can't handle the new fa- the new flexibility of the muscle can't handle the load that you're going to put it through and so you're going to be putting yourself at a potential uh, risk of injury yeah cuz static stretching's been showing to decrease force production hasn't it during during exercise that's right. Yep. And then also, um, say for an endurance athlete, this is where I sometimes would, would be the exception to the rule. I'm not sure if you would agree, is that say if you've got a runner uh, and they've got really tight a tight hip flexor or like an imbalance between the left and the right, the only time I'd use uh, a static stretch before training would be, say, say in that example, to just get that range of movement back to sort of where it should be. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely to a certain degree. So, for example, even um, 
Um, so yeah, so you see, see, even in the in the rehab setting as well, we want say for example, what would be the, what would be the best way? Say um, a a calf calf um, calf calf flexibility, for example. One calf is a lot stiffer than the other. If we don't if we don't um, if we don't address the mobility issue, they are going to be walking around or training with an asymmetry between left and right. So I want to get it to to a base level of symmetry first before I get them performing the exercise. Yep, yep, yeah. That's a that's a good point. That's a very so that would be the the time that you'd potentially use some static stretching before training even though we know static stretching um, decreases force production, power output, but there is, is times where it could be used. Yeah, I guess I guess static stretching, maybe maybe static stretching in the in the in the sense of the word will be more for for flexibility, whereas what we want to try and get is mobility. So it's a slight difference between flexibility and mobility, and so I want to get a bit more um, mobility for the muscle. For example, you know, a light bolt of um, foam rolling or joint molds for example before doing the exercise mm. so um stretching before exercise is often people refer to you know to do it static stretching before exercise to reduce the risk of injury and we and we know now with good authority that stretching before exercise does not reduce the risk of injury is that your same line of thinking as well yeah definitely definitely stretching before exercise will um will definitely not i mean there, there's so many other factors and def- we cannot contribute contribute um uh, stretching to to be related to um a, a risk uh, a decreased risk of injury um for for exercise yeah definitely brilliant so i think what people need to potentially do is reframe the thinking behind why they're doing their you know their mobility their stretching before exercise whether it be um, dynamic or static and get into the mindset of it's for performance enhancement or you know maximizing gains in a training session versus the old adage of reducing injury yeah and i guess you could add one you i guess you could add um joint mobility to to um to this um to this uh, group of you know static stretching passive stretching or dynamic stretching or even joint mobility as well so dynamic stretching i guess you would you'd be more for um for mus- uh, in terms of muscles, whereas joint mobility is going to help um, the joint uh, improve the improve joint movement through the range as well. And so, when you're doing a, a, a joint mobilization, we are trying to increase um, increase input to the nervous system as well by increasing range. Um, whereas static static stretching, you know, you think more sort of for recovery, and you want to hold it for a prolonged period of time. Say, you know two minutes yeah i mean that's yeah so why would you recommend two minutes can you sort of expand a little bit on the why behind that time frame i guess two two minutes is an arbitrary number but you want you do want a decent amount of time to to try and get some change in the muscle and and um analogy that i've given for um, for clients has been say for example you you tilt your head to one side for say 10 or 15 seconds and you bring it back to the middle your neck feels all good. No, doesn't feel like anything has changed. You sleep with your neck twisted for eight hours. When you wake up the next morning, you get a stiff neck. So something's changed, right? Some, um, some muscular properties have changed in the muscle. So 
I mean, I'm not going to get you to stretch for, for eight hours, but you do want a decent amount of time to get some change in the muscle at least. So yes, two minutes is an, is an arbitrary number, but, um, but sort of I use a minimum of two minutes as, a, as just a ballpark figure. Yeah, okay, cool. So two minutes is a good starting point, a minimum if you like. Yeah, I mean you you've got, you know, things like like ROM ward and, and, and yoga stuff that, that um you know can hold a stretch for, for say three to five minutes even. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so two minutes would just be a yeah, just be a nice introduction starting point, I think. Awesome, mate. What about in terms of endurance athletes? I, I usually find endurance athletes, you know, tend to have a similar set of problems, if you like, when it comes to, you know, body maintenance and, and injuries and little niggles and that sort of thing. For you um, and the athletes, endurance athletes that you come across, um, what would be some, the sort of general biggest bang for your buck um, that you would recommend for them? Say t- your top three, perhaps. In terms of um, stretches or in terms of just recommendations? Yeah, just general recommendations, I think, for them to get the, the most out of themselves. Cool. So I think one, one thing, especially for our everyday endurance athlete, would be, a, would be strength. So I guess a lot of people uh, – well, no, that's, that's wrong. It's, it's wrong to say a lot of people, but um, there are a few, um, say, athletes who underestimate the importance of strength. Yes, you need to do your reps. You need to accumulate your mileage for, say, a triathlon, for example. Yes, you need to accumulate your 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 um, your laps in the pool, your 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 swimming. You need to accumulate your distance on a bike and your and your running. But it's uh, important not to forget about strength as well. Um, strength is so important just to make sure that your body can handle the load as well. Um, so strength, yeah, definitely uh, a strengthening program, say in the in the off season, would be be quite good to um to help with um with handling the loads that the body's going through so that'll that'll be one does it sound right yeah yeah mate for sure strength training in the off season over the winter time is ideal ideal time to start cracking into it now with it being the end of season for you know most southern hemisphere athletes as well yeah i used to see um this um this uh ultra marathon ultra marathon uh, runner and so, in the off season, he would not. He will, he will, he will go for easy runs, but he um, sets himself a three month block purely strength training. He absolutely smashes his legs and um, and to a certain degree his upper body as well. But that whole three month block is just purely dedicated for strength stuff. Yep. So his mileage is real low, but he gets his um, strength up then after that, so that he knows he's got his base base um, level of strength. And then once um once that finishes, then he starts back on his um on his running again. Yeah, I think a lot of endurance athletes are potentially a little afraid of the gym, or they can't understand why they would go and you know lift lift some weight um, and perform resistance training in the gym when it is so different to their actual sport. And I mm. think a lot of people don't understand that they're not so much trying to get better at running in your terms of the ultra endurance athlete that you're talking about before but to strengthen everything up so that they can do more of their specific training so it's not just the muscles it's the tendons the ligaments yes. and those are some of the first things to start to blow out when you start to do high high volume training 
Yeah, I've heard, I've heard um, someone say before that, um, that, oh, they were afraid that they get too bulky when they do strength training and then that might impede their, say, their bike or their running. They don't want to be carrying extra weight when they're running and so on. Yep, big time. And if you do the right type of strength training, you know, you can increase your your power production and you don't get any change in muscle mass or you don't get any change in VO2 max either. So you don't increase your bulk, you don't change your aerobic capacity, but you still get stronger. Yeah. And, and I think um, I, I think on the cards for the next couple of podcast episodes, we're going to do a big focus on, uh, on strength training and the how-to and the whys behind it for endurance athletes. Sounds excellent. So that was number one. Point number one is uh, get into some strength training. What would be your tip number two for endurance athletes? I guess my number two would be just to listen to your body. So in terms of, um, yeah, more, uh, load monitoring and um, recovery strategies as well. So, you know, yes, you've got a training program. And, and I say this um, sort of, carefully because i'm not i'm not a i'm not an endurance athlete myself um i know you've got so you know for 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 the athlete yes i know you've got a i know your your coach has set you a a set training program you know you've got to do x mileage or you've got to perform whatever movements um and whatever distance um for for how long but if your body's not up to it you know say you know you're you're working you've got family life and so on you've got You've got other things out of sport, and if you're you are you're, if you're not feeling up to it, there's sometimes there's no point. Uh, and once I say once again, I say this very carefully. There's no point um, pushing through the the training session because your body might not thank you for it down the track. A hundred percent. I mean, that's you know coming from me as a coach as well, and that we you know I write the training program for the athlete, um, and we. And to be honest, like you don't know exactly how much they can handle, and depending on their level, you know there's always a walk. You're walking that fine line with elite athletes of doing enough or and doing yeah. too much. There's a very fine line there, and on paper it's really easy to you know put out this is what we're going to do. But a, a good training program and a good coach should be refining that based on how the athlete is, is is tracking and how they are feeling you know so that load monitoring and just listening to your body is so crucial and it mm. should almost be you know at, at the elite level a day-to-day day-to-day thing you sort of come in see how the athlete's feeling and we review their training that they're going to do on that day based on you know how how they're responding to it yeah i mean lately there's been a lot on um I guess in the in the media and on on um, the internet, there's been a lot on um, heart rate variability monitoring. Yeah. Yep. And um, yeah, and just sort of um, yeah, how that responds to to stresses and and training training stresses and um, uh, lifestyle stresses lifestyle stresses as well. Yeah, big time. Heart rate variability is a you know a great great tool to monitor your training. But I think a lot of people as well, you don't have to rush out and invest in, in anything. It's just being, being a little bit more in tune with your body as well, like you say, just how are you feeling today? It's a question that I ask every one of my athletes, you know, the elite athletes that I work with on, on a daily basis. And then the other athletes, the, you know, the weekend warriors on a, on a weekly basis. And I'm pretty sure they get sick of me asking, how are you feeling? And they probably feel like I'm their counselor or something. Yeah. <laughs> but... 
but the question how are you feeling uh, gives me a great insight into you know how their body's responding and how they are responding to the training load yeah there's this um there's this physiotherapist um in australia that i've done a bit of work with um yeah when he used to um when he used to work with the china women's volleyball team he's got a, he's got a few um you know just a few questions and um and then the uh, the answers have got scores attached to it so if you're under a certain under a certain score right you've got to go easier training today you're feeling pretty good cool you can do a harder training today yeah yeah exactly right mate and and also that that question of how you're feeling is a, a bit of a gateway question as well uh, yeah. you know, they are oh, not feeling that great and then you can start looking into you know why are you not feeling great and was it your sleep last night was it was it this was it that so i think yeah like you say that's that point number two about listening to your body and getting in tune with it is is a is a, a really important skill to have as an athlete yeah, and so recovery strategies we include, you know, so listen, body we include recovery strategies and and you know like what we talked about, uh, stretching, mobility work, um, yeah, getting getting treatment, making sure that you're moving properly and so on. So these all these all come together with um, with listening to your body, I guess. Yeah, awesome, mate. And what would you say uh, point number three would be in terms for endurance athletes? General recommendations for them. Um, Number three is something which I don't have much experience in, but I know is important, and that'll be nutrition. So that's definitely not my field, but um, but I do know that nutrition is a big is um uh, sort of nutrition plays a big role in, in just how our bodies um react as well, really. Yeah, for sure, and even like on a structural level, in terms of you know your work as a physiotherapist, if you if you're trying to you know rehab an injury, having the right ingredients in the tank is is crucial to you know build more muscles tendons and ligaments yeah i guess nutrition i guess you could put um hydration with that as well a lot i guess a lot of us me included especially in winter time don't drink as much as we should yep 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 and and being inside as well with uh you know the heat on is you know during winter you're, you're probably almost exposed to more heat than you are during the summer yeah and then you know when you drink water, you don't want to drink water because sometimes when the, the, the water that comes out of the water cooler is colder as well, and it just makes everything worse. <laughs> yeah, 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 classic. So one one sort of issue I have with the majority of endurance athletes I work with is super tight through the anterior hip. Mm-hmm. So just really tight hip flexors because of you know time on the bike time in the kayak running just just tweaks them up big time what would be your go-to fixes for really tight hip flexors uh, i guess a few a few um yeah a few uh, one of them would be banded mobs banded hip mobilization mobs um I'll, I'll, i will send you a couple of links that, that might that might work a bit better so that i guess your listeners can have a um kind of a visual as well that could be quite good yeah that'd be really good mate it's kind of yeah. hard to describe some of the stuff as well isn't it yeah so i'll send you a few links um a few of them are with um that physio that i talked about so he's done a bit of um he sort of mentored me a little bit and um he's he's done some pretty good videos on on um, hip mobility work as well so I'll, I'll um i'll send it in a link to you and you can um attach that somewhere for um, for your listeners as well 
Awesome. Yeah, no, I'll post a link to that in the show notes over at the Exponential Performance Coaching website so everyone mm. can check it out. Sounds good. Awesome, mate. So we've got one last question. It's quite a long one, so I'll, I'll kick into it and we'll probably uh, tackle it in a few different parts. Sure. So um, this question, question comes from a listener. It says, I'm 40 years old. I was a rower at Oxford University and then raced bikes uh, in my late 20s, early 30s. Oh, mate, I'm thinking we've had a systems failure here. <laughs> Bloody hell. Um, oh, we might. No, I'm thinking it might have froze on me. We're back with uh, Josh Ong from Focus Physio. Sorry about the technical difficulties we had, but we're back here a day later, and we're going to tick off this question for you guys. So, the question was, just as a bit of a recap, um, this guy emailed in saying he's 40 years old, he was a rower at university, raced bikes in his late to early 20s, but then the old story of kids and work took over. He's always had problem with lower back pain, um, and it's just usually an ache most of the time, but once or twice a year, it gets really, really painful to the point where he can't sleep, exercise, or just do normal things like sitting and walking very well at all. So he's saying he used to use a mix of different types of training, cycling, football, gym training, to mix things up. Um, but recently he went to see a chiropractor. And they think the problem is muscular in terms of an imbalance, and it's not a disc or a nerve-related problem. So with that in mind, Josh, what's your view on chiropractic treatment? And he says here particularly the McTimony method. Am I saying that right? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. <clears throat> yeah, um, so what's, uh, what's your view on chiropractic treatment? Yeah, I, I really like I really like um, chiropractic treatment. Um, like I, I think I've, I mentioned before, I, I've had the privilege of um, working in an osteopathic clinic and a chiropractic clinic before as well, and so I've got full appreciation of what osteopaths and chiropractors do. So I definitely do do think that chiropractic um, has value to it. Um, I guess a lot a lot of it depends on where on where you're from as well. For example, um, generally speaking, if you're in the states. Um, chiropractic is more um, recognized if you're in the UK for example osteopathy is a bit more recognized as well so um, they physio chiropractic and osteopath um, all work together to um, to look at, at the body as a whole how the body functions and how the body can 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 heal or or, um, or improve performance as a whole so um, in terms of chiropractic treatment yeah I'll say if uh, chiropractic works for you go for it because i do believe it can work and there are some really stunning chiropractors out there chiropractic chiropractors um are just really experts in in in, in um in spinal manipulation and, and just how they see the spine and how and how they work um yeah i, I really fully appreciate how how um in-depth and how precise the handling of um some chiropractics uh, some chiropractors are with with that in mind so <laughs> What's the difference, if you don't mind explaining, between a chiropractor and an osteopath? Cool. So, um, there. No, I, I once again I say this with a pinch of salt. There is a lot of there is a bit of gray area. So chiropractors are chiropractors are 
uh, I guess traditionally known as um, clinicians who specialize in in um, in the spine and how um, how the spine can can heal itself. So I guess spine uh, spine and nervous system. Whereas osteopaths also look at the body as a whole, but they do have um, uh, they do talk about visceral, so which is the organs and mm-hmm. uh, soft tissue stuff as well. So yeah, so there is a bit of um, sort of overlap, I guess. You know, they do both both clinicians, uh, both um, both uh, professions do do um, things like spinal manipulations, looking at the body as a whole. Um, but maybe just uh, depending on which school you're from as well, they just have slightly different philosophies. Yeah, for sure. And taking that a step further, what's the difference then between say a chiropractor? osteopath and then a physiotherapist right so um yeah so i said i was saying traditionally uh chiropractors are known more for spinal spinal manipulations in the nervous system mm-hmm. um osteopaths um i guess soft tissue visceral and and spine as well looking at the body as a whole and traditionally physios were were um very exercise based but then now we're, we're getting more hands-on techniques as well um for example my my um my my master's was taught by an osteopath so you know i have dabbled in a few um sort of uh well he, he's he's taught to us some osteopathy techniques i've worked in a chiropractic clinic as well so I've, I've also learned some chiropractic techniques as well so for me personally for example i'm qualified as a physio but i've dabbled in um, a few osteopathy um uh, sort of experiences and chiropractic experiences as well so being a physiotherapist, sort of, does it give you the skill set to explore things a little wider versus the the more, um, how do I want to say this, whereas an osteopath and a chiropractor are more specialized or not so well you know, defined, but whereas a physio can implement a whole different range of techniques depending on the problems, is that right? Uh Actually, I'll say that um, everyone, physios, osteos, or chiros, can implement the same techniques. It's just, um, I, I guess you've got your base training, and it's how much you want to explore and how much you want to develop further. Like I've, I've been quiet, um, I've been quiet to um, go to a few um, chiropractic courses or osteopathy um, weekend courses. And same thing, there's some courses that I've been to, and um, there are osteopaths and chiropractors at the same course as me as well in a, in a, in a, in a physio course. So I guess a lot of it is um, how much um the, the 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 clinician wants to explore and how much they want to develop um their own skill set mm-hmm. okay and if if you with with any you know industry there's always going to be cowboys out there and if you had to sort of list off a couple of things that people should look for when they're looking for you know whether it be a chiropractor osteopath physio massage therapist what would what would your key things be that people should look for to find a good one? Right. So I guess one of, one of them should be um, that they are not afraid to say that they don't know. Mm. Um, mm. I guess I guess the big thing is that yeah, like say cowboys. Yeah, a lot of a lot of um, clinicians now are just afraid of losing clients, um, and so they want to try and keep the clients rather than referring them out in case you know if. If um if I refer you to them and and um yeah and they work better for you then you might not come back and then I might lose business, but um but that's not what's about it's what it's all about the <clears throat> it's all about the patient and and if um the other clinician their their style of treatment works better for you 
then go for it. Just stay with him. Yep. Okay. So 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 that'll be my one. Number two, I guess, when um when the clinician is explaining stuff to you, um sort of explaining what's wrong, what 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 he thinks is wrong, or explaining exercises. Um, simple is the best. We don't want to. I guess there's no point in trying to to sound real scientific using big jargon words and trying to impress the client because it doesn't mean anything. So just we're just really keeping it simple. Just you know, just explaining in real simple terms. Um, yeah, if 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 you can explain in simple terms to let the 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 client understand things better, then um, it's a win-win. Yeah, I think that's really key eh? in terms of. Sometimes people obviously do it deliberately to try and, you know, come off smart or to, uh, you know, state their expertise in the area. But I think Mm. a lot of people just do it uh, out of habit because they're in the industry and all the talk day to day with colleagues and, you know, whether they're reading or listening, that's what, you know, the terms are the terms because that's what they are. And I think people need to... uh, you know, get get out of their own head and start thinking, you know, on the ground, like you say, with the patients and how can we explain it simply so that they understand it. Mm. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, nice one, mate. And what what, what would your uh, number three be if you had to give a third one of things to look for for a good provider? I think just a, just a sense of professionalism. Um, yeah, just just being real professional with with um with regards to how you. Um, whether you, whether you're treating a grandmother, a parent, or a kid, still, I mean, sure, you, you've got you've got you've got to adjust your style slightly differently, but still exhibiting that sense of professionalism. Whether whether um, yeah, no, no matter who you're who you're working on, and whether you're addressing um, yeah, whether you're addressing um, uh, a child or uh, yeah, or a parent or a grandparent, just making sure you know yeah, you're polite and. Um, yeah, just just explaining things, um, the way you interact with them, the way you interact with potential, um, say say they bring in a family member or they bring in a partner, just even how you interact with the partner as well. That that's really important, I think. But and I think that comes back like physiotherapy is a really it's a really personal thing, isn't it? Like every yeah. every physio I've had, and I've had quite a number of, of different physios throughout the year, and um, and there's people that you just really click with and that you really mm. like and there's others that may know their stuff really well they may you know have all the certificates on the wall but when it comes down to it it's just you don't people skills. it doesn't click it doesn't click yeah and just yeah and just and just people skills really mm. and i suppose surgeons you know they always term the people with the you know worst bedside manner in the medical industry that's right but their patients are always asleep, aren't they? When they're uh, when they're doing yeah, that's the job. Right. Yeah, <laughs> and then when and then when patients wake up, they, they don't know what's happened. Yeah, exactly right. No, it's classic. And then, so if we go back to this question, we sort of digressed a little bit there. Yeah. But um, so for the relief of lower back pain, and for this sort of guy in general that sent this question, and what would your recommendations be? How? What could he do to fix this? Do you think, or at least help it along the way to alleviate that lower back pain? So I'll say one one thing that um, one thing that I found quite quite helpful for for pain for patients is just to just to have a, a a good screen. So go to someone that that like so for 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 me personally, for example, I use the functional movement screen quite a bit, 
and it's just a standardized screen, you know, for 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 myself. So I know I just have a baseline of where of where my patients are at. And so, because, say for example, if you've gone to different, say you know you've gone to the osteopath, the chiropractor, or physio, for example, all three might tell you slightly different things. But if you've got one standard screen, um, you sort of know you uh, you're coming from the same page, and you and you sort of know where where your base um, flaws or restrictions or, or your limitations are. And then just work from there, working through, you know, potentially maybe um, that you've got some muscles that are a little bit tight, um, some joints that are a little bit stiff. And so once you get some form of symmetry, then you can start loading the pattern up, loading loading um, the muscles, starting to get stronger as well. So I, I would say definitely my first port of call would be um, just to get a just to get a screen, just to know where you are um, cool. in the in the in a spectrum first, so you know how you can progress as well. So when you say a screen, um, you're talking about a, a movement screen. So what does that involve just in general? So a person comes to you to get a screen. What what are you doing with them? So I'll do a couple of movements. For example, um, uh, an overhead squat movement, um, a step movement, a lunge movement, um, checking their shoulder mobility, um, checking um, their straight leg raise, um, seeing if they can do a, a push-up seeing if they can do like a, like a plank, prone hold type movement. So just um, a few basic movements, just to get a really, really brief gauge to see where they are um, at that point in time. Nice. So you, a little bit of a warrant of fitness, so to speak, looking yeah. through, seeing how they're moving, and if there are any warning signs of things that aren't moving properly so that you know that may be the contributor to the, the pain that they're getting. Yeah, for exa- yeah, definitely. So for example, if you, you know, if I get you doing... A squat, for example. So there's no weight at all, just holding a stick above your head and squatting, and you've got pain. Right, we need to address the pain because pain modifies movement. You're gonna make compensations around the pain. So we need. So rather than rather than nothing down and um, um, uh, going through the pain, let's take a step back first and find out what's causing the pain, and addressing that, and then potentially we can help make them make your your pattern and you make your movement a lot uh, smoother and more comfortable. Yeah, nice. And then, so following on from a movement screen, what do you think this person's next step should be after that? Is there anything that they can do, say, at home um, that would help alleviate back pain? Not really knowing what the, the problem is because you obviously haven't seen them. but mm. I guess uh, the, the, the screen tells you a lot. For example, if you can't do, if you can't do um, say, for example... Um, if you can't put your hands behind your back, for example, right? Potentially, we you know we need to work on our our trunk, our upper back, um, get that moving a little bit easier. Working through the muscles in the front of our chest, working through the muscles in the front of our shoulder, those are stuff we can do. Or for example, if you can't do a squat or a lunge, right? Maybe you've got tight quads, so we need to um, uh, you know you've got some stretches that you can do at home, stretches for say quads, hamstring or or glutes, for example. Nice, and, and you'll send. Um, I think we talked about that yesterday. You'll send some of those through so that we can, uh, so that everyone can check those out. Definitely. Awesome, mate. That's fantastic, mate. Thank you so much for answering that question. Hopefully, that's helped the listeners out there. Just do you one... want me to? Sorry, mate. Go ahead. Do you want me? Um, so uh, I think one of the one of the questions before that was about the McTimony method as well. Yeah. What is the McTimony method? Talk me through that. I'm not entirely sure, to be honest. Um, I I did do 
do a bit of research. And it just looks like it is another form of chiropractic treatment. Um, potentially, it might be a, um, I guess it's just a different style of um, adjustment or, mm-hmm. or, or, or manipulation. Um, some some uh, reviews said that it, it is a little bit gentler than um, traditional chiropractic treatment, whatever that means. Um, and I say and I say that because um, some chiropractors have a bad rep for being really rough. But then on the other hand, I've worked with some chiropractors who've got hands like angels. Their hands, mm. their 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 um yeah, the handling skills are just so gentle, but yet they feel so much. So yeah, so I'm I'm not entirely sure about the bactimony method um i what i can find is just it is another form of chiropractic treatment um and like with with any treatment osteopathy acupuncture massage physio um to be honest just what what works for you really yeah right and uh, i would never i would never sorry i would never say um go to chiropractor and not an osteopath or physio or or vice versa because everyone works in different styles and whatever style you respond best to just stick with it Awesome, yeah, different horses for courses, eh? Yeah. Brilliant, mate. Hey, and with this uh, this question that was asked, it was also asked, how often do you think you should get sports massage? Um, I guess a lot of it depends on your type of training, intensity of training, I guess. Um, you could put massage under, I guess, your personal warrant of fitness, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. so, so people get it. Say once every six weeks, once every once every two months. Um, whereas you got people who are in season, and they like to get it once every month. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, there is not much evidence on you know on how on how um, massage can potentially help. I mean, who knows? It, uh, you know, uh, majority of it might be psychological. Just makes just makes uh, just makes the, the 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 client or the or the athlete feel a little bit better, mm-hmm. and that that play, that plays a huge role as well. Which is the the aim at the end of the day, isn't it? To feel better. As well, yeah, definitely. Yeah, awesome. Hey, I wanted to ask one last question before we go, and this is one mm. I haven't, uh, I didn't give you with the uh, the wee brief before we jumped on the call, and it's uh, one that I want to start asking our guests. But what is one thing that people disagree with you about? Is there something that you're a little bit controversial or something that people disagree in your approaches or anything? Uh, me personally? Yeah, 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 you personally. Um, let's see. To be honest, I haven't had, I haven't, I haven't had too much, um, too much, uh, uh, controversy in my treatments actually. Um, I think like I said before, I, I just like to keep things simple. Mm-hmm. Don't don't like to complicate things too much. Um, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I I can't say I can think of any at, at the moment, to be honest. Yep, because I definitely think you're uh, you're an extremely open physiotherapist in terms of you always seem to be exploring different modalities and you know you're going completely outside the box even and you know, going and getting amongst some powerlifters and, you know, a bunch of other stuff that, uh, you know, sort of outside of your, you know, your field, if you like, to get those experiences. Yeah, because I always believe that, you know, in, o- in order to in order to, um, to to treat clients, you've got to know what they're going through at least, right? Mm-hmm. So I guess how I first, how I first um, sort of, yeah, I guess when I, I first started um 
when I was working on a on a on a CrossFit coach way back in CrossFit Dunedin, and I was playing I was playing volleyball at 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 that time, competitive volleyball. And once the season finished, he was badgering me to 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 um to come in and just try it. So I so I came in tried 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 a few classes and um I must say I did enjoy it. Um yeah I, I thought I, I thought it was really fun. Um and so that sort of opened my eyes to um, different movements, you know, things like like um, the Olympic lifting and so on. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so that, that, that's how um, the, the gym started referring some clients over because I sort of had a, had a, had a better understanding of how the clients move and, and why they got injured and how to, how to prevent it or how to help them move a little bit better. Um, yeah, and same thing once, uh, that, that's how I started to, to, um, to, uh, to know some of the, the crossfitters who have now um, gone into powerlifting. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've um, done a few things with them. Um, attended a few of the strongman classes with them as well, just to once again just understand how the movements go and how the movements um, work and, and how the body responds to it. Really, so just um, yeah, that's that's um, that's something I I um, sort of pride myself, I guess, to to just open my eyes and just uh, open my eyes but be cynical at the same time, mm-hmm. but just to j- just learn and understand. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, there's no better way of uh, learning than experiencing, is there? Mm. Well, we might, in, in saying that, mate, we might have to get you signed up for some big endurance race. <laughs> yeah, maybe one day, yeah, after the, once the kids grow older. Oh, mate, you can train for endurance on short amounts of time, eh? I'll get you there, I'll get you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, Josh. Hey, thanks so much for joining me on the line, mate, and uh, we I look forward to having a catch-up uh, again in the future. No, most, most definitely. Thanks very much for having me. Well, there you have it, team. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Josh Ong. If you've got any follow-up questions for Josh, please send me an email, post them in the comments section, whatever it is, leave me a voice message, and we'll get him back on the show to answer a few more questions. All of the resources that we mentioned in today's podcast will be over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com under the podcast tab in the show notes under this episode, episode 8. If you've got any questions or topics you'd like to see covered in future podcasts, head over to the Exponential Performance Coaching website and leave me a voice message about them. I'd be greatly appreciated and I'll do my best to get you the information that you need so that you can train hard but train smart. Until next time, get out there, give it heaps. I'll talk to you next week.